Welcome to How I Got Here, a podcast from the Graduate Northwestern exploring interesting journeys of young professionals working at exciting companies and the role that entrepreneurship played in getting them there. My name is Mike Rabb, and I love dissecting nonlinear and non-traditional career paths and the lessons that we can all take away from those who forge them. In this episode, I'm joined by Zach Scott, a product design engineer on the iPhone team at Apple. Zach studied mechanical engineering in college and scored an internship at SpaceX during his senior year. Since graduating, he has worked for a startup that made custom-shaped popsicles, 3D printer company Formlabs, and now Apple. Zach shares how entrepreneurial concepts such as finding your pitch, being ruthless at prioritization, and being okay with rejection are essential for anyone looking to make the next step in their career. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Zach Scott. Well, Zach, thanks for joining us here today. Um, I'm super excited to, to hear a little bit more about your story. I thought a good place to start maybe would be uh, if you could tell me a little bit about when you got to Northwestern, what you were studying, and what you thought you wanted to do after graduation. So I studied mechanical engineering. Um, and you know I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, but I didn't really know what engineering was other than what I you know, looked at in books and seen. I'd never met a real engineer. I don't even think at that point. So right. I think I thought maybe I'd go work to, in the automotive industry. Like that was the one thing I knew about that had to do with engineering. Right. So your senior summer, you ended up getting an internship at SpaceX. How did that opportunity come about and how did you kind of secure that internship? Sure. So the way it came about was I, I applied after meeting people that came to Northwestern. So these two guys, um, plus a great recruiter, I met them at Northwestern. and you know, just tried to ask them as much questions as I could, stayed after, and ended up getting an interview. Um, did the design challenge, um, gave them some work, and just decided to really spend as much time as I could over the course of whatever it was, those three days. And I got really lucky, and they said they'd got an opening for a propulsion design intern. And then it sounds like you spent a lot of time on the technical challenge that they gave you. How did you kind of prioritize everything you had on your plate at the time when you were trying to secure this internship? Sure. Uh, it's a great question. I'm laughing a little bit because I was really busy at the time and it was crazy. Um, and now it's like an order of magnitude more work. So, it, you know, I was I was doing a lot of stuff. And ultimately, what it came down to was figuring out what is going to give me the best return on my investment here. And I think entrepreneurship is a great uh, discipline to learn skills like that. Because when you're doing a startup, you're working in a startup, or you're working in the garage doing events in a startup atmosphere, there is always 10 times more things than you can get done. And you are never going to be in a position where there's one thing to do, and you so you do it. You have to prioritize. And being ruthless is the word I like to use. Being ruthless at prioritizing is how you will be able to make good decisions. Um, and in this case, I had a really big test the next day and it was, you know, it was an important test. Like it was, it wasn't, I don't think it was a final, it might've been a midterm or something like that. And I decided I was not going to study for the test. I was going to stay up all night and work on this project. And I think I did, you know, I got like, I don't know, 80 on the test, something, not, not an amazing score, but I didn't fail the class, but I got the internship, which opened up a ton of doors. So ultimately that was kind of a really good data point for me to just realize, okay, sometimes doing like the wrong thing is actually the best way to get uh, what you want. Right. I love that ruthless prioritization. And it sounds like when 
a rare opportunity presents itself, just making sure to focus your energy on that. So can you tell me a little bit about the experience at, at SpaceX and what you learned there from either, you know, an engineering perspective or a culture perspective or, you know, what kind of insight did that give you into what you wanted to do um, in your career? Sure. So, you know, SpaceX, you can't believe it again. It's, it feels like it was not that long ago, but now they've, they've gone so far. I mean, when I worked there, um, SpaceX had not landed a rocket yet, um, which now it's like nothing. Um, and I was on the propulsion design team. So what that meant was uh, we were the engineers who designed all of the rocket engines. You know, I'm trying to think of how to describe my experience at SpaceX. I would say it is a theme that has come up there and also at many places afterwards is like, in the real world at these companies, you are way, way less managed than you ever think is possible. And even at school, you think you're not managed, but you really kind of are. Like, you get there and you have a manager and you have people who are there to, to guide you. But, you know, they're like, here's your project. Like, just like work on this. And, you know, I don't know. I, I guess I can say this now. But at the time, I really didn't have any. I did not have any experience in aerospace engineering. So I had to learn. And what I found in that experience was the best thing you can do is ask people for advice, not for help necessarily, but for advice. So find ways to find the people who are experts and know exactly what they're doing and then use your interpersonal skills to make them want to talk to you and give you the information that will save you one month of work. And at SpaceX, that was the only way that I was able to get hardware out. But uh, going from never having designed a real a real mechanical component to having redesigned this, you know, pretty high performance um, part in three months just by essentially reading a bunch of stuff, trying to figure it out and talking to people, I think was really set me up for success in later uh, places where I didn't know what I was doing. Right. I'm curious um, when you show up and there's kind of less direction or instructions or management than you were expecting, and you also felt it sounds like underqualified to design something for a space rocket. Um, was there a little bit of imposter syndrome there? And did completing that task um, help you overcome that and realize that like it's okay to you know feel that way? Definitely. I mean, I think you know th the way I think about this is. There are some people that you're always going to work with who are just geniuses. Like they are, you know, you meet these people and they are just, they have always been really smart. They are just top of the field. And you, you're just like, wow, these, these guys and girls, they're able to just figure stuff out in a way that I would never be able to, no matter how much I worked. And that's great. It maybe would be nice to have been born with the brain like that or whatever it is, but I'm not that person. I am not going to be the super genius who could do all the calculus and just sees it. But what I can do is work really hard, learn from what I'm doing, and constantly be utilizing other skills like prioritization, project management, my own technical engineering background, which I am you know, definitely sufficient at, and provide value in a way that just pure smart or technical ability can't. And I think when you start out, you know, it's scary because, like I said, I'm not one of those kids who was building rockets you know, in high school and designing stuff and SpaceX hires those people and they do great. But they're also hire people like me who have a solid background, but also have a different skill set where you're able to learn leverage, you know, skills that are not technical engineering. And I think that's what really helped me with kind of imposter syndrome, which I definitely had and still have. 
as a metaphor, being able to just parachute in anywhere, you know, in the, you know, uh, metaphorical engineering world, and you just survive, you figure it out. And once you start building that confidence, then things are less scary when you go into new fields because you've done it before. Right. I love that. Cause it's like expanding your comfort zone so that when you face a similar situation, you have that confidence. I, I would say, I wish it was like that, but it's not expanding your comfort zone. It's expanding the ability to get work done when you're uncomfortable. So it's being comfortable with ambiguity maybe, is a better way to do it or being able. I think that's a stretch. You're never comfortable. It's always scary when you go in, but you can just trust that your uncomfortableness is okay. And you just got to do the work and then you will start getting closer to what the, the finish line is. Right. Um, so I'm curious, after SpaceX, you come back, you have another quarter or so at Northwestern. What was your job search like um, after you have this internship at SpaceX? Sure. So I transferred from Rice University after two years. So I can say anybody who's transferred, it is not easy to do. And uh, I actually didn't get into Northwestern my first time. So that's another data point for definitely keep trying stuff after the first time you get rejected or fail, because I am so happy that I ended up getting a Northwestern the second time. But because I was transferring from a semester school to a quarter school, I'd take an extra quarter in order to get all my stuff done. At that time, you can't work at SpaceX if, you, if you're out of school completely. So having the extra quarter allowed me to now get this opportunity that ended up paying off. So it really worked out. In terms of job search, you know, it was a little weird being off cycle um, where, you know, I was still working in school, but I was able to still apply for jobs during that quarter. And in the end, you know, I tried not to stress about it too much because I knew I was coming from this internship that really was really doing a good job. Right. Uh, and so I think another benefit of um, having another quarter was that you actually got to experience the garage, which opened in 2015 as well. Can you tell me a little bit about your experience there, what you were working on and, and kind of some of your takeaways from your experience? Sure. So what was I working on? Um, I like came up with something, but I had no time to work on it. So I had to make sure I passed on my classes. And the other thing was just kind of trying to see, get as much as I could out of the garage while also trying to contribute anything I, I had. And um, I think what I didn't get out of it was a startup, obviously. But what I did get out of it was a network. It was kind of like my first real network, you know. And I think just having the ability to have almost like a club, you know, that you could go to and like be around people who were like you and there were, you know, people would just talk. Like I, I always struggled, I think, in college and before with like, I would get very excited. I want to talk about tech. I want to talk about this idea I had. And also and people would just be like, you know, they wouldn't really get it. They're like, you're annoying me. Like, why are you getting, why do, I don't want to talk about, you know, the latest you know, talk about the space shuttle or this idea for like a really dumb type of water bottle that has a spout that's reusable, whatever. And at the garage, I was still kind of annoying to people, I think, but it was like accepted that you could be excited like that. And so I think the most successful experience I got was having the ability to just kind of be myself and really, you know, flex those skills and learn more about entrepreneurship while also building up this network of incredible people that I have definitely come to, to value. I think that's something I, it took me a little longer in my career to realize is how long, um, you know, the people you meet early on in your career, those are career long connections you have. 
So uh, I want to get to your first job out of school. Um, how did you end up landing at PickSuite? And can you tell me a little bit about what it is and what you did there? So PickSuite is, I think it's still around. It is a startup that makes custom shaped popsicles. So basically you like supposed to be able to send them like an image and they turn it into 3D geometry and then they make you, you know, 200 gourmet popsicles in this special packaging. And it uses this technology that this 3D printing guy developed. So this guy um, was a big deal in 3D printing. So I got to meet him through a connection. And then he was like, do you want a job here? I was like, sure. Because I had just actually gotten rejected from Apple after an in-person interview. So that was my first Apple rejection. And I think I I applied some other places and didn't really get anything. Um, And so... You know, it was not quite what I had in mind for the value prop, but it it was a cool company. I joined it and, you know, ultimately I only stayed there for four months. So I think the story with PickSuite was uh, it's not about what is the perfect place. It's about whether or not you're making good decisions to get you to the next spot that you want to be at or to learn something, you know, whatever it was. My goal then was I need to get a job. I need to start building up some social capital and some human capital for my technical skills and build up some of my resume. And this place has got five people. The guy is who's running it is kind of like a crazy guy. Like, I like this. Let's go. And um, it ultimately, ultimately ended up not really being what I expected in that just it was a lot less engineering and a lot more of kind of like putting out fires. And, you know, so my point is pick sweet. It was a startup, didn't stay there for very long. But while I was there, I was able to build up some more skills, make a little bit of money, which is always nice. But most importantly, even though it was only four months, I was able to help them take this product from prototype to like initial production. And that was all about the story that I could tell to my next place. So when I was applying to Form Labs, if I had said, yeah, you know, I, I, I didn't really do anything for four months and this place was not so great and like, you know, I did some engineering, but I ended up leaving. They're going to be like, well, it doesn't sound like you're really the kind of person I want to hire. But I told them the truth, which was, hey, I joined this place. Um, I did all this crazy stuff. I learned about 3D printing because there was a lot of 3D printing that was going on. And I was able to take this product from, help them take this product from prototype to initial production in four months. And then at the end of it, I decided I really wanted to get uh, working at a company that was making a hardware product that was a little more established. And I think what's important maybe for like students that are considering these jobs is like you really have to think about the story you're telling. And it's just like an entrepreneurship when you're, it's like a pitch. When you are in an interview, you are pitching yourself to this company. You are not going to do yourself any favors by giving them a ton of detail that is not telling a story you want to tell. You should absolutely never lie. You should be telling the truth, but you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't present yourself in the best possible light. And so you need to have integrity and actually say what you are doing, but tell a story that is going to show yourself as you, as you deep down, hopefully know that you really are. I couldn't agree with you more on finding and framing your narrative um, and, and talking about what you've learned, but I think more importantly, why you made the decisions that you've made throughout your career or college you know, uh, time to justify why you're a good fit for the company now. So I'd love to dive into Form Labs in here. Um, I think it grew a ton while you were there, right? You were there for about three years. 
what was the experience like working for a startup that's kind of growing and scaling? And uh, was it messy and complicated? Was it exciting? Uh, I guess I'll leave it there for you. It's all of the above. I think something that's important that I learned from the garage and entrepreneurship is having retrospectives and thinking about what you have been doing and how well that has turned out is just as important as getting the, the next task done. Um, so learning these retros, learning the retrospectives at Northwestern, I think was really important. And actually at Formlabs, I started doing retrospectives when I was helping, uh, helping do some, some project management, project leadership on a team. We did them every two weeks. The first one, nobody came. And it was really embarrassing for me because I tried really hard to do it. The second time I told everybody there's going to be gourmet donuts and beer, cider, and soda. We had kegs and stuff on there. And if you show up, all you have to do is show up and you get free donuts. And of course, it was like every person on the team came. And I started off with an activity, which was you always supposed to have an activity. Bad retrospectives, it's like write down everything you did this week and think about how it worked out. I dumped a bunch of Legos on the table and said, you have six Lego pieces. You have to build an animal that describes an emotion or something about how the last two weeks went. And it just went from a bunch of nerdy engineers who were like, they don't want to talk. And there's to like, everybody was having a great time. And we got all this, this information, this data that we never would have gotten if I had pulled together people and said, how, you know, how did this go? Do you guys have any feedback? And so the takeaway from that is you have to be really creative and you have to work at leadership manager, at being a manager and project management. And you can't just ask people how things are going. You have to use skills. Just like if you're an engineer, you have to design stuff and be creative. You have to be creative as, as a leader or as a project manager. And that really hammered home for me. Um, and so to go back to the original question, how was Formlabs? It was, it was everything. I mean, I, I couldn't even begin to describe it. I think the takeaway would be you can never predict how anything's going to go, um, especially when companies are, are a little bit smaller like that. Formlabs had an incredible number, has an incredible number of people. That was kind of like my second network. So after leaving Formlabs, I now have just dozens of fantastic men and women, engineers, recruiters, leaders that I'm able to call upon or have as friends. And I also got to ship, work on shipping three products. So uh, in engineering, that's really important. And so my takeaway from Formlabs was build up your network, build up my experience, learn how to be ambiguous, and then also be able to show on my resume that I was able to help ship real hardware, which in technical hardware engineering is really important. Right. And so you mentioned earlier, first of all, a couple of things. One that, uh, you know, your first application to Northwestern, you didn't get accepted, but you had also applied to Apple previously and you did not get hired there. So I'm curious how this time, because after Formlabs, you leave and join Apple. How did you approach uh, trying to secure a job there? Yeah, so uh, you know, I, I did. I applied to Apple twice and got rejected twice before the third time. So it was actually two times first, and I was, you know, it was really hard because I really wanted to work there. And each time, I thought that I had the skill set. You know, only after each time do you look back on it and say, "Wow, I actually." did need to learn more stuff. The third time, you know, I had been working at Formlabs now for multiple years. I had shipped product. I had been to China and dealt with, you know, our contract manufacturers and vendors, which is a whole skill set I had never had before. 
Um, I was just a completely different engineer. And so I still had to work really hard during the interview process and kind of, like I said earlier, choose where your opportunities are and make sure you really commit to them. But you can't just hit like one home run and like win the game. You have to be building up like these, you know, building up your your worth, building up your opportunities. And then when one comes along, you do as your best that you can. Sometimes you get it. Sometimes you don't. But, you know, if you do it enough times, you'll get it. And then you can move on to the next the next one. It seems to me that you have a really healthy perspective around the concept of rejection or being rejected. Um, I'm just curious if you could elaborate on how you think about like applying to jobs and getting rejection and how that affects you or not. Sure. So rejection sucks. Um, it is. It feels terrible. I get rejected still. Getting rejected from a job is substantially worse because you work really hard. Something that maybe a lot of people who aren't engineers don't know is for engineering interviews, it is never you go in, you talk to the recruiter, you come back, you talk to the team, and you get an offer. Every single engineering company that is that is really competitive, they have a technical challenge or technical test of varying degrees of work, but it is always a real design challenge. So getting rejected after multiple rounds of interviews and this work, it does suck. And so you basically need to become, again, not comfortable with rejection, but okay with it happening to you. And I went as far as trying to seek out rejection. So I, there's, a, there's a concept called like the rejection game where like every day you try to get rejected from at least one thing. And it could be as big as a job interview that you get rejected from or as small as you know, asking if somebody wants to, you know, go to dinner with you tonight or play a game of tennis. And the goal is to kind of have exposure therapy, where the more you do it, the more you're okay with it. And I still hate getting rejected, but I do try to seek it out. Because if you're not getting rejected, then you are not reaching enough. And I think that's something that really changed my perspective was when I realized, hey, this is not, I didn't fail, or I mean, let me rephrase I didn't make a mistake, maybe, by get, not getting this job. If anything, this might have meant, hey, you actually did it. You got real. You got all the way to the end. I mean, Apple, I got to the last interview both times. So that told me, hey, you're you're not. It's not like you're out of your league here. It's just something was either unlucky or you're. There's a little bit more. There's that last twenty percent that you have to get. And so, to the advice I'd give to anybody who's a student who's listening is like. You should never, ever, ever turn down an opportunity because you're scared. And that is so easy to say, but it is so hard to do. But if you are doing that, you are robbing yourself of value. I applied to, it was like 88 jobs, 89 jobs. I mean, it was crazy. It was an insane amount of work. And I got rejected from many of them that I thought I was overqualified for at the very least. Like I didn't, you know. Some company making bicycles, or like they're doing rental bikes. It's like, I don't want to work there. I'm just doing this because, you know, if I got the offer, maybe I would take it if I had to. They didn't even like give me an interview. But I ended up getting to the end and got two offers from Tesla and Formlabs. And so in when I was in it and I was just getting rejected, and until you get to the end, you have no idea. It, again, it's, it's a one or a zero. You either get the offer or you don't. And you have to invest all this time. I was feeling terrible. I was like, look at all this data that says I am not good enough. I'm getting rejected. Why am I even interviewing at Tesla or Forma? These guys are amazing. These people that work there, they're not going to want me if I can't get an interview at this other company. And it was only after I got the two offers that then I realized looking back, 
none of those rejections mattered from a utility standpoint because you can only it's having a job is mutually exclusive. Like you only advice is you only have to get one offer. You can apply 99 times and get rejected, but if you get one offer at a place that you like, you can't have both. So if you get 10 offers versus one offers, you know, it's nice to have options, but having the one offer is what matters. And having those two, then it was all like, wow, I can do this. And then I got to form labs, which helped me springboard to my next, my next role. And so, you know, you just gotta, you have to get out there and do as much as you can, because even the smartest people in the world are going to get rejected from jobs. That's great advice. And I think, um, why your story is so interesting to me. First of all, it's just one of the most interesting careers over the past five years of SpaceX, to popsicles to form labs to Apple, like very diverse and interesting. Um, but I think it also highlights that I feel some students feel like if they don't get their dream job right outside of school, that they are you know a failure or that they're behind. And I feel like your story, especially with having applied to Apple twice, um, before you actually got hired there really highlights um, a long-term career view. So with that, I guess, last question would be, what advice would you have for, for a young Zach who's still in school, who wants to work for Apple one day or wants to follow in your footsteps? I'll say the thing that I would tell myself to myself feel better is this is horribly butchering a Steve Jobs quote, which is you can't, you can't look forward and see what your future path is going to look like. All you're going to see is a bunch of noise, right? It's a bunch of options that you have. You can only look back and connect the dots in reverse. And I think after, as an engineer, that makes a lot of sense. And so you have to trust that if you make good decisions, you're taking opportunities, making good decisions, not being scared of rejection and really working hard, that you're going to work out statistically you will eventually get through and keep building onto your next, you know, onto your next piece of your, of your career puzzle. Second thing is talk to people. Talk. If you get an interview at SpaceX, let's say, and you really want to work there, go on LinkedIn and you better be hitting up every second connection, you know, obviously first, but second connections too. Be okay with getting rejected. You're going to reach out. I talk to a ton of people that I was totally not even qualified to talk to, where I just said, hey, here's my story. I'd love the chance to speak with you. Have a quick chat on these specific topics. Do you have 10 minutes to talk? And you need to be able to make those connections at companies because, you know, for better or worse, it really is about one, meeting the technical bar. But then second, you have to have people flag your resume in the first place, people that are going to eventually vouch for you. You will never get it if you can't meet the technical skill set. But you can miss it if you do meet the technical skill set and you don't have, you know, somebody actually taking a second to look over your stuff. So I think, you know, that's really the advice. Summarize that. Trust that it'll be okay as long as you take opportunities, know your fundamentals, and make sure that you are really reaching out to people and uh, and getting those connections. Um, another good piece of advice that I got from somebody at Rice who was a fantastic professor was he said, listen. If you get lucky enough to meet somebody who's, you know, maybe the CEO of some tech company, these people are going to meet like thousands of people every day, right? And you can say you love their work, tell them the story. They are not going to remember you. Send them a handwritten note or maybe a small gift, get not money, nothing like that. Just like maybe you, you made something or 
it's a keychain from your company, something cool. Guaranteed, like one other person of those thousand people they talk to has done that. And that's the other person who learned this skill from somebody, you know, who told them that. And I just can't stress enough. It's like, you don't have to have money to do that. You don't have to be skilled, particularly. All you have to do is show up and put in the time to write the note. And these are the things that are like how you can really show yourself to be different from all of these other people who are just as qualified as you are, just as charming, just as connected. So really think about, you know, how to make that extra little step when you're talking to, to these connections. I think that's great advice and a great place to end. Thank you so much, Zach, for being with us today. Sure. No problem. Thanks a lot. If there's one lesson I would take away from Zach, it's his healthy perspective on rejection. From the outside, it may seem like it has been a smooth path to finally landing at Apple, a company he has always wanted to work for. But the reality is he was only hired on his third attempt after being rejected twice earlier in his career. Yet that didn't discourage him from applying again. When he was hired at Formlabs prior to Apple, he had applied to 88 jobs and was rejected from all but two of them. I hope that Zach's story and his advice that if you're not getting rejected, you're not reaching enough, gives you the permission and inspiration to reach for something you want today. How I Got Here is a podcast from the Garage at Northwestern and is produced by Melissa Kaufman, Ben Williams, and Elizabeth Wright. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform.